And now, and now, and now, item, 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 item with Tommy Lee. Item with Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. I'm Tommy Lee, and this is the Item Podcast. It's my random record button for whatever's in my head at any given time. And today, I celebrate the arrival of the film Bohemian Rhapsody in theaters today. Tie your top five down. It's a best of Queen, item number 120. We classic rock fans have been salivating at the trailers and the commercials for what feels like two years now, waiting for the film that salutes the famous London Quartet, who bent and molded the 70s and 80s into whatever shape amused them best at any given time. Now, understand this about this list and its source from the start. I personally firmly believe that if you only go by the rubric of vocal talent, that Freddie Mercury is the greatest frontman who ever grasped the microphone and walked a stage. Now, yes, you can make arguments about David Lee Roth or Roger Daltrey or Robert Plant or Bono or Steven Tyler or the likes of Dave Grohl and Mick Jagger. And in any conversation, you could even be proven right by the majority of people with an earshot. Each of them has a shot at the title of greatest front man in rock. Yes, I will. I will admit that. Maybe even Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder. But none of these guys could hold a candle to the tone that came out of Freddie Mercury. He was the greatest pure singer in classic rock history, and that is a hill that I am prepared to die on. Now, as I've just finished detailing on this podcast, I've been in radio for 30 years, but my relationship with Queen goes back almost a decade before that. My parents gave me my first record player when I was around seven or eight years old. My first rock records came soon thereafter, and they were by the band Kiss. But when I saw a crazy little thing called Love on Night Flight, which is what we had before MTV, and then I heard the song on the radio, I looked forward to getting the new Queen album that it was going to be on. And that album came out shortly after I turned 10. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Bottom line, when I sit down to write up a list of my top five favorite albums by the band Queen, I know of what I speak. I come at it from a position of love, respect, and awe. And in anticipation of the movie and the making of this humble little podcast, I spent a couple of weeks listening back to their entire catalog. And so now I present my top five picks, album-wise, from The Mighty Queen. The list starts with an honorary mention, because I can cheat if I want to. And I'm gone. It's the soundtrack to Flash Gordon. Yes, I know it wasn't a Queen LP in the purest sense, and it only really had two songs that people really remember. Three, if you happen to remember the multi-layered wedding march. But the Flash album is a personal favorite thanks to the first and last songs on it, Flash's theme and The Hero. These were fun songs to have attached to a very weird, much-loved movie when I was a kid. And the writing that they did for the movie's score was more than solid. So there it is. You know what? Here's the second honorable mention. The last Queen album, 1995's Made in Heaven. Not a very popular one, but it was cobbled together by the band a few years after Freddie's untimely death, using vocal tracks that he'd left behind And it serves as a nice footnote for the man showing how strong his voice still was and using vocal tracks that include the haunting Too Much Love Will Kill You, a classic Mercury ballad that reminds you of that powerful instrument that Freddie wielded within the band. All right, now the real list. Number five is the eponymous first Queen album from 1973. You probably know Keep Yourself Alive and you might even know the original sketch of Seven Seas of Rye, but you owe it to yourself to get to know the song I just played a little bit of, Great King Rat. 
as well as the song Liar. When I do these lists, I tend to just stick to the studio albums, but I'm making an exception with number four, the epic Live at Wembley 86. Many fans argue that Live Killers is better, and they might be right, but this set is a perfect snapshot of why the band was one of the more brilliant live acts of the day, and it catches them at their height. And it has sort of the mix of hits and deep cuts that makes their live persona more accessible to casual fans while still satisfying the diehards. Number three, probably an unusual choice among fans, but I'm standing by it. It's Innuendo, the last album Freddie Mercury made with the band before he passed away. And here's why. When the band recorded the album, Freddie was already very ill with complications from AIDS. And in the music video for These Are the Days of Our Lives, he looks really gaunt and frail. But his voice is still a locomotive, powering through the entire album and rising to even loftier heights than you would have thought even remotely possible. In the title track, when he belts out, Till the end of time, again at the end. Man, I still get goosebumps up and down my arms 27 years later. And by the way, the guest flamenco guitar solo by Steve Howe of Yes makes the song a hidden gem that you probably aren't really that aware of. I'm Going Slightly Mad is a personal favorite. Even Headlong's a cool song. That's one of those cuts that nipped at the charts for a very brief time. It's a neat little pressure cooker. These Are the Days of Our Lives is another one of those classic Mercury ballad vocals. And the other tracks are all strong enough to make an argument that the band did go out on a great high note with Freddie after several less than popular outings in the 1980s. But the real rock star here, of course, is the song The Show Must Go On. The song came out shortly before Freddie's death in the fall of 91, and it recharted again right away after he died. The lines from the song's refrain, My soul is painted like the wings of butterflies, fairy tales of yesterday grow but never die. I can fly, my friends, and still bring a tear to the eye when you think about Mr. Mercury. Besides, the braying jackasses over at Rolling Stone magazine all hated this album, so you know it has to be good. My number two choice is the album that almost everyone puts at the top spot among Queen albums. It's the first of two that the band put out that they named after old Marx Brothers movies. It's, of course, Night at the Opera. It's the album that made Queen huge, the one that gave us Bohemian Rhapsody and You're My Best Friend and the awesome dig at their former manager, Death on Two Legs. Many fans lament that the LP was bogged down a bit by Mercury's weird old-timey cuts, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon and Seaside Resort, and maybe even May's Good Company. But it's hard not to love stuff like I'm in love with my car, the Roger Taylor ode to Roger Taylor's sports car. My personal favorite on the album, Brian May's short little space epic, 39. I love the music, I love the lyrics, I love the performance, I love all of it. It's the song that inspired me to write one of my short stories, 10 years after. Although, ironically, I stole the title of that story from Led Zeppelin. But anyway. So number one, for purely personal reasons, has to be The Game. I loved Kiss when I was a kid, I mentioned that. But Queen's The Game was a game changer. I wanted it originally for the rockabilly song Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which was almost a year old by the time the album hit in the early summer of 1980. But the rest of the cuts sold me on Queen forever. Another One Bites the Dust, Save Me, Sail Away Sweet Sister, even Dragon Attack and the title trackish Play the Game, and on and on and on. When I think about where my love of real rock music began, I don't just default to the Kiss LPs. 
or the Beatles 45s my parents let me abscond with, uh, or the soundtrack to the movie Tommy that my dad gave me back in the day. Nope. I think of the silver gray album cover with the photo of Queen on it, making the band look like total badasses in their leather jackets. I think about the vinyl itself with the plain white label and black writing. And I remember taking the belt off my bathrobe, tying it around either end of my toy M16 machine gun, and using it as an air guitar while I jumped up and down on the bed. I was 10. But in those moments, I was John Deacon. I was Brian May. Where Kiss made me a rock fan who enjoyed the guitar, it was Queen who made it an absolute imperative that I had to learn how to play one. And it all began with the album, The Game. Is it their best album? Probably not. But in my heart, it's always their greatest contribution to my specific individual love of music. This has been the Item Podcast, written and produced by me, Tommy Lee. It comes out now and then, whether it needs to or not, here at Audio Boom and wherever you just found it. Item doesn't follow much of a regular schedule, so if you want to hear it, subscribe to it. It does keep being different things, so hopefully you're still finding it interesting or at least entertaining. Yes, let me entertain you. Uh, please drop me a rating and a comment somewhere, and if you spread the word, I'll appreciate it. And as usual, thanks for listening. The Item is part of the Optin On Demand family of podcasts. Inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking, but my smile still stays on. This has been Item with Tommy Lee. by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.